Hope you like that song. It's got beautiful, wonderful theology in it. And we're going to sing that the next few weeks as well as we learn it. You'll take your Bibles this morning and turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 23. As you can see on the title slide there, we're going to talk about Christmas and grace. And I'm going to be bouncing around to quite a few different passages. So we'll start in Luke 23. For the next few weeks, um, so the next this week and the next two weeks, we're going to talk, take a break, and we'll talk as I do every year about Advent themes, um, grace, lights, gifts, joy these different types of things. And so we'll have some topical messages uh, for the next few weeks. And then uh, Ryan will preach on the 29th. And then um, uh, Nick is going to share from Romans 13 on January the 5th. And he's going to talk about broadly about a theology of politics. And uh, no one better than him to really talk about that since he lives and breathes and eats that. Um, at the state house every day, and so I hope you're looking forward to that. So that's what's uh, happening here the next few few weeks or so. How do we get Christmas? I mean, where did it really come from? When I was a kid, and before I really knew better, I did believe in Santa Claus. Um, I used to. Uh, one of my brothers and I, early in the morning, about oh two or three in the morning, uh, my brother Chris and I, we would um, get up early. We were so excited about Christmas because we knew Santa Claus came. And we would go down and we would see all of the presents and everything under the tree. And we were like excited. And how can the world did he fit through that little stovepipe that was only like eight inches around, you know? And it was a big spread there. And, of course, there were, you know, crumbles of the cookies and stuff. I remember, I don't remember a whole lot, but those, I, those are, that's a good memory that I have. So we, I remember thinking, oh, wow, Christmas is, Santa Claus is awesome. And that's what I thought Christmas came from. Now, if you're in here today and that's the first time you've heard that, I'm sorry. Uh, Santa Claus is not real. <laughs> Doug, don't leave. Stay seated. Um, if you think about it, Christmas really is the story of the Bible. Um, Christmas was promised in Genesis 3. Christmas, uh, after our initial rebellion, God promised Christmas. In God's providence, in Galatians chapter 4, the Bible tells us that in the right time, God sent forth His Son, born of a virgin woman. Now, we don't know exactly in God's historic redemptive timeline why he chose to wait when he did, but he did in his perfection, his holiness. And Christ came and was born at the right time. And his name is Jesus, Emmanuel, who is God with us. Christmas really is grace. And I want to talk about that this morning. What does grace have to do with Christmas? How is Christmas grace? Who needs it? You know, what is this grace? Who can have it? And how is it possible? So we're going to work through some things this morning, okay? First of all, 
first thing we want to look at is what is grace? What is it? Grace is not an uncommon word to us, is it? We hear of grace all the time. Sometimes we see a person trip and fall, and we might think that they're not very graceful, right? Or maybe on the other hand, we see somebody who moves effortlessly through, or uh, maybe like a ballet dancer or something, and we will say that that, we say that that person is graceful. Every once in a while, we hear of a person named Grace or Karis, which means grace. At meals, we say grace. But what is it when it's talking about the grace of God? What is that grace? And that's the grace that I want to look at this morning. Grace really simply is kindness. Now, I know they're out there, there are some really nifty jingles that they have about grace and how to define it. And those are fine if they work for you or whatever. But I really think that the best way to understand grace, and I submit to you that it's really just simply the word kindness. When you think of grace, think of the word kindness. I think kindness captures really the heart and the essence of what grace is. Now, one of the best ways to understand and what something means is really to see a, a picture of it, isn't it? And that's where we come to Luke chapter 23. In Luke chapter 23, um, in verse number 33, the context is set for us. So let's look there at Luke 23, verse 33, and we'll set the context and see this illustration. Well, start in verse 32. Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. That is Christ. In verse 33, And when they came to the place that is called the Skull, or Golgotha, there they crucified him and the, and the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. And so the context here of what's happening is that these, there's, Christ is being crucified. It's at the end of his life, not the beginning, which we celebrate during this time. And it's at the end of his life, and he's about to be crucified. And they familiar story, right? He's crucified with two other people, two other criminals, one on his left and his right. And then in verse 39, these criminals strike up a conversation with Jesus. And, they, and he, they, one of the criminals in verse 39, hanging beside him, scoffed and said, huh, So you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. But the other criminal protested, Don't you fear God even when you've been sentenced to die? Verse 41, We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you today, you will be with me in paradise. You know where we see grace? We see grace in verse 43, where Jesus says, you will be with me in paradise. This really, my friends, is the reason why Christmas is grace. The criminal who, as he acknowledges, rightly so, is guilty. And he deserves what he is getting. He deserves to be crucified for his crimes. And yet... Christ rescues him from his spiritual crimes. What did he do? If you think about it, what did he had done, what did he do to deserve what Christ did for him? I mean, he's the dregs, he's the worst of society. There's nobody there that maybe other than his mother, if she's in the area in the area, but there's nobody there that's mourning the loss of these criminals. But that's just the point. The point is, it's all about grace. Jesus is gracious. And this grace and this kindness is unmerited. Now, the criminal did, by his words, did evidence faith. 
But there was nothing that he did to merit it. There was nothing that he did to earn it. It was all the gift that he understood. It was the gift of faith, the gift of Christ's righteousness. And this is the grace that I want you to see at Christmas. Christmas grace and the greatest grace is that you can be rescued from your sin. That's the greatest grace that you that you folks could ever, whether you're here in this room or, or listening uh, to my voice online, whatever it is, this is the greatest Christmas gift that you could ever get. What is grace? Grace is the kindness of God to rescue you when you don't deserve it from your sin. Because you know what you deserve, my friend? As you deserve eternity separated from God in a place called hell. That's what we all deserve. And yet Jesus Christ was born. I mean, this is a different kind of grace. Don't you see that? I mean, people can be gracious, right? I mean, it happens all the time. Especially this time of the year. People are gracious to each other, unusually gracious, uh, gracious to each other this time of the year. But there's not grace like this. This grace is different. We see a man who has lived his life in rebellion to what God stood for. A man who is the dregs, as I said, of society, but he's rescued by Jesus. This, my friends, is what great unmerited kindness but does everybody need this grace? Or is it just the down and outers that need it? Matthew chapter 1 helps us to understand or, ask, or answer the question, who needs it? So turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1. Another passage that's read during the Christmas season. Matthew chapter 1. And we're going to look at the first six verses. Did you ever wonder what good could come out of a genealogy? <laughs> ever read a genealogy and be like, oh my goodness. I can't pronounce the names, and the word begats has been written 600 times, right? The genealogy here really helps us to understand who needs it. Look at with me, uh, Matthew 1, look at verse number 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now, Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac was the father of Jacob, and Jacob was the father of Judah and Judah's brothers. Verse 3, and Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram. And Ram was the father of Aminadab, and Aminadab was the father of Nashon, and Nashon was the father of Salmon. And Salmon was the father of Boaz by, what's the next word? Rahab. And Boaz was the father of Obed by Ruth. And Obed was the father of Jesse, and Jesse was the father of David the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. What do we learn from this, just these six verses in this genealogy? It's really interesting that in verse 5, Matthew doesn't just record the father and the son, which was really only typical of genealogies. He also mentions someone else. He mentions, actually, in this genealogy, there are three women that are named. But in verse 5, he specifically mentions uh, the first woman in verse 5 is Rahab. Now, why in the world would God have her name inserted into this genealogy? You ever wonder that? Well, do you remember who Rahab was? In Joshua chapter 2, we read this. In Joshua sent two men secretly to spy uh, out Shittim. And he said to them, Go view the land, especially Jericho. And they went, 
And it came into the house of, and they came into a house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab, and they lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out our land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for, uh, for they have come to search out all the land. Then the king, uh, but the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, True, these men came to me, but I do not know where they came from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up on the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in in order on, on the roof. Who was Rahab? She was a prostitute and a liar. We would say, oh yes, this woman, for sure, she needs God's grace, doesn't she? She needs God's kindness. Because look at her. She's the, again, she's the worst of the worst. I mean, I don't think any of us would argue, right, that Rahab needs God's grace. She can't do anything to earn it. She's not good enough. She's a bad person. But there's so much beauty in this genealogy. Look at verse 6. And Jesse, the father of who? David the king. You know, typically when we think of a king, we think the opposite of a prostitute, don't we? We think of glory and power and culture refinement. But specifically it says at the end of verse 6 that David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. It doesn't say Bathsheba. It says the wife of Uriah. Why? To help us not to forget who David was. David was just as bad of a dude as Rahab was. And that's really the point, friends. That's what we learn from this genealogy. It doesn't matter if you're the lowest of the low or the greatest king that Israel ever had. Everyone needs grace. From the worst to the person we think is the greatest. We all need it. Which makes, makes us kind of naturally consider, doesn't it? Makes us wonder who, who can have it. And it's kind of obvious here from Rahab and David because we know the story of both Rahab later on and we read about her in Hebrews chapter 11 and it says, By faith Rahab. Now, she's not honored for her deception, but she is honored for her faith. By faith David. David who was a man after God's own heart. Both of them experienced the grace of God. And so it doesn't matter if you're the worst of the worst or you're the king of the kings. So the greatest king of Israel... We all can have it. If you're here today and you think you can rescue yourself, you think you can get righteous with God your own way, you are wrong. Ephesians chapter 2 directly states to you, for by grace are you been saved through faith. It's not your own doing. It's only because it's a gift of God. It's not a result of works. And no one can boast. My friends, the grace of God is available for you because Christ freely offers it to you. It's a gift. Remember a few weeks back when we talked about evangelism here? In Romans chapter 6, verse 23, it says, For the wages of sin is death. The wages are, wages are things that we earn, right? I think I used Landon as my example. 
if Landon mows my lawn and I give him some money, if, if we come into a, like he says, I'll, he says, Uncle Matt, I'll, I'll mow your lawn for a dollar, which I would do it, <laughs> then I'd give him a dollar because that's, he mowed the lawn and he earned it. But if he just did it to be kind, if he just wanted to do it and I came out, I, was like, I came home one day, oh, my lawn is mowed. And then I wanted to give him $50 for doing it. All he would have to do is just take it. Remember that? It's a gift. Wages are things that we earn. And the thing that we earn because of our sin is what? Death. Eternal death. But the gift, the thing that all we have to do is received is what? Eternal, we, we receive because of God is eternal life. All because of Jesus. My friend, the only way you get right with God is through faith in Christ by receiving the gift of His righteousness, not your own. You cannot righteous yourself. And as the end of verse 22 states in Romans 3, for the, right, the righteousness of God comes through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction for both prostitutes and kings and everyone in between can have God's righteousness. It's a free gift offered to all. And my believer friend, God's grace, His kindness, perseveres. It accompanies you all of your life. And may you never grow weary of that truth. The gospel is a beautiful truth that should change and help to remind you who He is every day of your life. You ever have a really rough day? You ever feel like the wolves and the vultures and thieves are at your back all the time? You ever feel like you've just been you dealt a bad hand, we would say. Like the cards are, everything's stacked against you. No matter how hard you try and what you do, everything just seems to be, to go wrong. Can I just encourage you, my brother, my sister, that things can look bleak and uncomfortable and hopeless and impossible but may I remind you of the grace of God in 1 Corinthians 15. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the word of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain. We will, because we're human, we're going to grow weary in well-doing, aren't we? There's going to be days when we just want to quit and days when we want to give up. But can I encourage you that the grace that saved you, that kindness, is with you every day from that day forward. God is always with you. He's always, He'll never leave you or forsake you. That verse says that in, be steadfast. In other words, you can move forward. You can stay on your feet. And you can overflow with the grace of God in your life. Would you be encouraged with that today? But how is it possible, you say, yeah, I get it. And I've already told you. How is it possible? And it's really, it's possible because of the first passage that we looked at in Luke chapter 23. It's possible because of what Jesus did on the cross. Romans chapter 5 tells us, Therefore, as one man's trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of the many, so by one man's obedience the many can be made righteous. 
as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. My friends, all of this is possible because of Jesus. Christmas is really the story of grace. And my friend, if you're here today and you're not, your faith is not in Christ, may you turn to Christ because He is your only hope. He graciously came for you so you could be rescued from our sin. And this is the best, as I said, the best Christmas gift you could ever have. And my family, Berean, regular attenders, brothers and sisters, I hope that you're, re- you're renewed, you're rejuvenated, you're reminded of this grace, of this Christmas gift that came for you so many years ago. You see, Christmas is grace. So we should live it. Are you being gracious to your neighbors, to your coworkers? Are you showing them how Christmas is grace? There's a world that's dying and going to hell, friends. And some of them think, like I did when I was just a kid, that it's all about the gifts and the fat dude named Santa. But it's so much more. It is the truth of Christmas is that it's grace and it's Jesus. So I hope that you share that with people during this Christmas season. Let's pray together this morning.